Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, posted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing L.A. Kafalos. Uh, she's author of the This Is a Blob Picture Book series, and we're going to be talking about the classic novel The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Uh, but first, as always, I'm going to start with a poem. Uh, the one for today is called Fireworks. It was written by Rebecca Kai Dotlick, and I found it in her poetry book, Lemonade, Sun, and Other Summer Poems. Uh, this was illustrated by Jan Spivey Gilchrist. Fireworks. Emerald glitter fills the sky. A thousand dashing dragon eyes sparkle, flash, spiral, climb, leaping, leaving earth behind. Roman candles sizzle, shatter, diamonds dazzle, rubies scatter, spilling silver stars of fire, blasting bits of copper wire. Sapphires crumble in the sky, tinsel tumbles down to die, onto city streets and roads. Crackle, pop, the sky explodes. My guest today is L.A. Kafalos, author of the picture books This Is A Blob and A Blob on a Bus. You can find her website at thisisablob.com and additional information about the book at its publisher, www.laughingleopardpress.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Jody. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Now, these uh, books that you've written, uh, This Is a Blob and The Blob on the Bus, um, and I understand there's a, there's this theme of bullying. And I wonder if you talk a little bit about um, what inspired you to write these books and what you hope from them. Sure. Um, I It really was seeing all the stories on uh, social media about children killing themselves, committing suicide because of being bullied at school. And that's really the extreme, but it just broke my heart seeing all the stories. And um, previously, you know, my background is um, electrical engineering, but I did do some writing of children's stories. I did an animation. Um, it's called Crockpots and Wildebeest. And it's a short film that it talks about, gets kids excited about the library. So I had been writing children's story and I just thought, you know, let's get kids talking about bullying early in life. Like, let's talk, get them speaking about it in kindergarten. So I thought, let's, I'm going to do that with a story. I wanted to reach young children. So I made it a picture book. But because it was a picture book, I knew that I needed to make a series out of it. So it's actually, um, this is a blob is the first of the picture books. And now my current book, a blob on the bus is the second, and then there will be one more. So I have a trilogy and the last one's writ written, but not illustrated yet. And why a blob? Why did you choose that as to sort of represent, uh, the bully in your story? Because I, when I start thinking about it, the, um, the blob character is often shown in movies as a stereotypical white kid with red freckles and a butcher style haircut, a crew cut. And um, I just thought, you know, bullies come in any shape, size, color. So the idea of making it a blob. And the key thing to my story is we don't know what a blob is. It's actually a period blob. So it's what does that A stand for? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? 
is what's in, you know underneath this blob or is it just more goo so that will all be answered in the third book because yeah, at the end of the second book we get the idea that something is going to be revealed in the third book right and and you have um two different illustrators for the first two books is that correct Correct. Um, the first is, was Yuri Fialco, and um, he did a great job. I mean, I love the illustrations he came up with. And um, unfortunately, I, I couldn't get in contact with Yuri anymore, so I was really concerned, me and the publisher, Laughing Leopard, you know, we wanted the same look and feel as the first book that we set. So we were lucky enough to find Jeffrey Burns, who really was able to match our style. So we're, we were just lucky and so pleased with his work. And will he be doing the illustrations on the third book as well? Yeah, that's going to be up to the Laughing uh, laughing Leopard, but I assume, yes, if he's, if, depending on what his schedule looks like. Hmm. Have you received any feedback yet uh, from the publications of these, um, from the books? You know, there's been some uh, reviews done on the book, and I've had people write to me with uh, and send me pictures of their children enjoying the books and saying that. So um, we're just, you know, we got some more marketing to do, but um, so far the feedback that I have gotten has been positive. I don't. One key thing that I guess I should mention is with these. Um, the book, we partnered with educators to come up with discussion guides that they can, teachers can use and parents can use to start this discussion about bullying. So the idea is they're designed to give teachers and children actual steps to take in case to combat bullying, to understand what bullying is. Um, there's, there's that word bully has been overused uh, in my opinion you know not everything is bullying somebody just calling you a name is not isn't does not make them a bully so it's it's a great it, the discussion guides are free it's a great tool for teachers to use in their classrooms to um, introduce bullying and start talking with the help of my stories so it's more than just a book they might read it's a way to start a conversation to uh, sort of a broader conversation about different things going on with kids in schools and bullying right uh, right the key thing to my um a blob on a bus there's really four ki four individuals involved in a bullying situation you have the bully you have the victim you have the upstander, the person who stands up to the bully, and then you have bystanders who's the on-watcher of the bullying happen, happening. And you'll see all these characters in the illustration of, of, um, of both books. And another thing that I'm really happy about is that the, the diversity of the children represented. I really want it to, a child to be able to open the book and be able to find themselves you know, some some recognize something in one of the characters and see themselves, as well as the actions of others. They'll 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 the discussion guys guides will lead them to think, you know, why did I act that way? What should I have done differently? So I think that that like I said, that is a great tool for teachers to use. Uh, so, so my understanding is, apart from these uh, picture books that you've been creating, you're working on something else as well recently. Yes, um, thanks for asking. I am actually in the process of my first chapter book. 
Um, and it's, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the character. She's a girl who is very interested in math and science. So I'm an engineer by trade, an electrical engineer, and I'm trying to get young girls interested in the field. There's just not enough of them. When I went to school, I was the only female in most of my classes in the electrical engineering classes. That is changing. It's slowly getting better, but I think we need to um, to be mentors and try to get girls interested in math and science in the early ages. So they they really they really do well. They excel at math and science, and for some reason, um, junior high or high school age, they veer to another to to study something different and as, and we need to get them back in the engineering and science classes. Mm. And this is, so this is a very personal story for you, more than just telling a story, but something that you hope will inspire. Yes, yes. I'm hoping it leads to great things. So we'll see. Mm. And what was the process like? You've been writing uh, picture books along and a chapter book is, is a very different sort of thing. Did you find you have to adjust a little bit or did, was it easy, uh, you know, switching from one to the other? Well, uh, one thing about my chapter book and my animation, um, both of them, the Crockpots and Wildebeest animation, I wrote them in rhyme. I did it in rhyme just as another challenge because the chapter book is simple writing. So just to add another level and kids like that to hear that rhyming sound. So this one, this chapter book has been just more of um, freedom to write anything. I've written for... Um, Articles. I have both a, done a stint in communications, so I have written um, articles in magazines and for websites. So I I do write, but the storytelling part. Um, no, I think it was a was easy. It was easy progression to go to that. It's been fun so far. Now the the book you chose is one of your favorite kids books is uh The Little Prince uh written by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry I'm hoping I'm saying that right anyway. Yeah. yeah. And it, you are too. <laughs> <laughs> and it was first published in 1943 I believe in French but of course it's been translated into many different languages since then uh worldwide. Uh but for readers who haven't uh, gotten around to reading it as of yet can you talk a little bit about uh, what this book is about? Sure. First of all, what, can I just say I love the idea of what you do with, with writers talking about their favorite books as children because it really made me go back and start thinking, like, that's a hard question to answer. What is your favorite book? Because there's so many great ones. And I I went back and thought about, like, the first story I heard or the first chapter book I heard, things I, I had forgotten. And... um one of them was was Charlotte's Web, E.B. White's Charlotte's Web. But like, I was like, oh, my God, that's that was that one really affected me. And that might be my favorite. But the Little Prince, the interesting thing about the Little Prince is the reason why I chose it. When I first read it, I was younger. I was probably in junior high. It wasn't necessarily my favorite. You know, when I read it, I didn't read it. I didn't think this is my favorite book. It's been as I've grown and as I've become an adult, I've read it again. And at each time I read it, depending on when I read it, it, the meanings change or I find a different part of the story that I can relate to. So that is why I chose it as my favorite book. Um, like you said, Little Prince is a story 
I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, and they just re they just had a movie of it, which I think was well done as well. But it's a story of a pilot who does a crash landing in a desert in Africa, and he's trying to fix his airplane. And in doing so, this little prince, this little boy with golden hair shows up and starts asking him questions, very, very childlike questions, asking him to draw stuff for him. And he starts telling his story and letting out his story where he's from. And it turns out he's from a asteroid. He lives on another planet. But it's... And he tells about his journey, and the journey takes the reader to different asteroids where he meets different types of people. And it's really each asteroid he lands on is it's a it's a story about, for instance, a businessman who hasn't really enjoyed life because he's just very busy counting things. So he starts talking. You start to see yourself maybe you're you're working at your career that maybe you're putting too many hours in. That's what I, when I start reading it this time. So it's a story of the little prince teaching the pilot about remembering his childhood and really the real meaning of life. As you mentioned, the main character is this uh, little prince. And uh, if you talk a little bit about who he is as a, as a character in a story and what is it that he's searching for in his travels well the little prince the reason why he left his asteroid um he had a rose that he took care of on his planet his his planet was very small and his rose was was a very vain little flower and demanded a lot of the little prince and um, the interesting thing is uh, they said that St. Exuberi might have had a wife or a girlfriend that was similar, that needed a lot of attention. And, and a lot of what he wrote about is reflected in The Little Prince. So The Little Prince just decided to leave the planet one day and go in. I think he had really had enough of the flower and he went to go in search of uh, a meaning of life. And he took this tour around the different asteroids and the different planets until he came to planet Earth and met the pilot. For its, I think it takes place in a year. And you mentioned uh, the pilot, because the Little Prince is obviously the main character, but the story is actually narrated uh, by this pilot who has uh, crashed in the Sahara Desert, and that's when he encounters uh, the Little Prince. And my understanding is the pilot is based somewhat on the author who also uh, a little reading I was doing uh, at some point his life actually crashed uh, a plane into the Sahara so this is somewhat based on a uh, something that actually happened to him you know talk right. about talk a little about who this pilot is who's telling this story and and what is he what sort of point of view does he bring to the story by telling it yes like you said it it's very much is reflecting of what um, St. Exuberi's life was. He was a pilot. He flew for France in World War II. He worked for the mail, a flying mail from France to Africa, and he actually had three plane crashes in his life, and the third one was actually fatal. So um, 
the second one that he had was in the Libyan desert and he was stranded there for three months. So out of that three months came um, the little prince story, which interestingly enough, you know, you think of the little prince and you think of Paris or France. Um, when I was in Paris, I saw souvenirs everywhere and I just came recently like a year ago, I found out that it was written in New York City and in Long Island when he was staying here. So that's an interesting fact. But what he, what he does is the narrator, he um, he's the adult. He's you. He's the adult that is seeing what he used to be. The little prince sort of represents what he used to be as a child where um or he asked him to draw him something and he, you know, he, he has given up drawing a long time ago, but the prince, little prince demands that he draws and then he finds out he starts drawing again and he remember, he starts to remember what it was like to be, to see things through a child's eye. And he really at the end gets taught a lesson from um, the little prince of what's important in life. I always like stories that have that message, that have Charlotte's Web, you know, the message of it brings about life and, and death and dying. So, yeah, he's that narrator that's telling you what the little prince is saying and sort of coming to the realization of, um, of the, the meaning of life and love and the journey of life. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned about the, the, the pilot and using drawing to connect with the little prince. And that book actually opens kind of famously with this, uh, uh, the pilot talking about this illustration that he makes. It's sort of a two lines, one's flat, one has sort of a curve over it and uses it to show people to, to see whether they see just a hat or, um, an elephant inside a snake and uh, right. and what it and for him what it tells about you know whether they treats them as a, a factual person who's very serious or somebody who has an imagination and i'm just wondering what you thought of that particular uh test and how it distinguishes how different people sort of approach the world or look at the world right um yeah that was one of my favorite parts of the beginning i think that where um he asked he the little prince really judged adults how they answered questions on whether they saw nothing or they saw the elephant inside the hat. And um, I think that's a fair, uh, a fair test. I think that it's like meeting someone today and you try to joke with them. Do they, do they laugh or do, are they too serious kind of thing? And, and I personally don't want to be around somebody who's too serious all the time. I like the, um, the child, the child, like, I guess it's more of feeling not the, the weight of the world on you where you're, you're being very serious, like the characters he meets on each of these planets that he visits. They're, they are so focused on their work that they're really missing the joys of life. You know what, you, it, you, it makes you remember what you were like as a kid when you had that imagination, when you, when you could draw something. Uh, when I was um, younger, my father taught me magic tricks. He used to first do the magic tricks to me, and, you know, oh, that looks so real. I thought it was, he was doing magic, and then he taught me how to do magic, and I would do it to a sleight of hand stuff to neighbor kids. Where even to the point they thought I was magic, they 
their mother got in a car accident and she did a fender bender and she was afraid to tell her husband and they said, call Lori, call me, call Lori and they'll, uh, she'll fix the car. I had them believing in magic. So, um, that kind of thing, it makes you like, you realize you've lost some of that. And uh, these people that he's meet on these, but that that's always the uh, the part of the book that has sort of a satirical edge. I thought, you know, you mentioned earlier about the the businessman who does nothing, sort of count his money, he can't doesn't even look up to see anything else. Another one's a king who is always giving orders, even though he has no subjects and nobody to actually follow them. And he tries to get the prince to follow them, and there are some others as well. And uh, just what what you thought about sort of that aspect of it and the what the object of the satire, at least in that part of the book. Right. And I remember as a child, I didn't like that part. Like I was sort of bored with that part um, when he visited the different planets. And it, it's very short chapters each visit. Um, now, as an adult, I can see that, um, like the, as you said, the king, he who gives orders, he's, he's the king of everything, but there's, he has no subordinates. And the orders that he gives are reasonable ones so that they're going to do it anyway. Um, so I think he's, St. Exuberi is being very political in, in those situations um, and stating really about maybe his own life of, of working too hard and not taking time to enjoy life. And just the businessman wants to own, I think he's the one that wants to own all this. He's counting in the stars because he, he thinks he owns the stars. And the prince asks him, well, what, who, who are you buying the stars from? Then he goes, I don't know. And he says, well, I own the stars. Since I'm the first one that says it, then I own it. So that's exuberant. maybe saying about people who discover islands or discover America, then claiming they own it. So I'm just seeing it as more as a political statement when I read it today. Well, it's interesting. This is one of those uh, books that uh, is a favorite of both kids and adults. I know you said you had you when you were younger, you read it one way. But as you in successive readings, you've sort of looked at it a little bit differently. And um, what do you think it is that, that those different perspectives that children and adults or anybody sort of bring to this book? I think in the beginning, I, I can only speak for myself, but for me in the beginning, it was the illustrations captured my attention and the difference between him saying how adults take things too serious and his imagination. That that was as, as simple as it got for me. I did not did not see any story behind it. Now, for adults, depending on where you are in life, um, I'm going to talk about the character of the fox because it's it's my favorite character. And the famous quote that comes from the fox is, um, one sees clearly only with the heart. Anything essential is invisible to the eyes. And really, and the story of the fox is um, he meets the fox and, he wants to be friends with the fox, and the fox says, no, but if you tame me, um, then when you leave life, I'm paraphrasing, of course, uh, if you tame me, then you'll bring happiness, but there will be great sorrow when you leave, um, and the fox doesn't really want to be tamed. So I think the story of the fox is really about um, the story of love, um, whether it's romantic love or family love, and the loss of love, 
I guess there's that song like you have to laugh a little, cry a little, sometimes you have to die a little. That's that's what the story of the fox means to me. Oh, this book it also has kind of an unresolved ending uh, in this book. That is, he gets uh, bitten by a snake, but we. Don't know what actually happens to him. Uh, does he just disappear? Does he die? We don't know what happens. Uh, does he return? And what happens to the rose? So there's a lot of unanswered questions at the end. And I'm wondering, uh, what do you think about, do you think about those sort of questions and how we choose to answer them? Does that say something about ourselves and how we choose to think about how the book ends? Wow, I never thought of that because I always thought, <laughs> the ending I always love movies that where you really don't know the ending like uh, the Sopranos people hated that ending I love that ending where you didn't know how it was going to end Lost in Translation is another movie where where um, she whispers into Bill Murray's ear or he whispers into her ear and you don't know what what was said I love um where you where the audience is left to interpret it and I, oh, I interpreted it as, um, as the prince dying, but also the hope, you know, the sadness of the prince dying, but the, the very last page where St. Exuberi draws the picture of the landscape and says, you know, the, this is the last the prince was seen. And I think that it is the hope that he may see him again someday. So it's this sort of book that might be read in different ways in different times, I suppose. Uh, during difficult times, you might read it one way, and during um, less difficult times, you might read it, I suppose, a different way, depending on what's going on in your own life. Right. I think um, I think anytime you read this book, and I don't know why it's going to be my favorite, but I, I think... Well, it makes you realize what's important in life. Um, it makes you realize that it's really the journey of of life and the people you meet. So um, it, I think it always gives you hope that even though you find love and you lose love, there's always hope that you will um, will be reunited again someday. Mm. That's interesting. This is a this is a fairly short book, and it's you know I think roughly about seventy five years old now, but it's still being printed, still being translated. I think you said even recently a, a movie being made out out of it. And there's not a lot of books from that long ago that are still, you know, still being read uh, that enthusiastically. What is it about this book from, you know, seventy five? so years ago that still speaks to us even now uh, in a, in such a different world. Yeah, I think it's because it's interesting because you read these books and it's, I just recently read for the first time, actually George Orwell's um, 1984. And, and then you think, Oh wow. It's like, it's, he's talking about what's happening in politics today but it's really been happening all the time because we are human beings. There are people who want to rule. There's people who love and there's people who, you know, we lose. We love, live, and lose. So that's some. it, it was St. Exuberi talking about his life. And we are all humans and we all experience those same emotions and um he was just talking about life and we're all still living the same type of life he is. We're working for a living. We're, 
we're meeting people, we're falling in love, we're losing people that we love. So I think that's that's why it it resonates with people. Is there a passage from the book you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I have a couple, but I'm going to pick one. I think because I I think it's just really I I really enjoy his writing in this, not only the message but the splendor of his his writing. And this is, uh, I don't know if you remember, it's sort of a, a, not a big part of the story. The little prince has just convinced the pilot that there's a well somewhere in the desert, and they he convinces the pilot to go looking for it. And sure enough, they walk and walk and walk, and then they finally find it. So this is that point. Um, Slowly, I hoisted the bucket to the edge of the well. I set it down with great care. The song of the pulley continued in my ears, and I saw the sun glisten on the still trembling water. I'm thirsty for that water, said the little prince. Let me drink some. And I understood what he'd been looking for. I raised the bucket to his lips. He drank, eyes closed. It was as sweet as a feast. The water was more than merely a drink. It was born of our walk beneath the stars, of the song of the pulley of the effort of my arms. It did the heart good like a present. When I was a little boy, the Christmas tree lights, the music of midnight mass, the tenderness of people's smiles made up in the same way, the whole radiance of the Christmas present I received. That is one of my favorite passages. Just just to talk about, it wasn't about just the water, the drinking water. It was the journey in life to get to that water and, uh, and to appreciate those experiences, to appreciate the things that are not tangible. And the comparison with, uh, I can definitely write that the idea, just the, the uh, not so much Christmas, just the idea of, of Christmas and what that sort of moments mean to you. Right, right. I remember uh, one time I was taking a train ride from, uh, I think I was coming from Princeton into New York City, and there was these two people, they were talking on the train, and they they were talking about uh, the meaning of life, they were talking about what comes first, the the chicken or the egg. For the whole train ride, they were having this, they were talking this big discussion on the meaning of life. And meanwhile, I'm like, as you drive from Princeton to New York City, you look outside there it's very rural when you first start out and i was seeing like wild turkey quail just beautiful uh greenery and then you come into like the city part and i i just thought it was such a metaphor for enjoying the journey where they 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 were trying to figure out the meaning of life while missing the whole the whole meaning that's going past them. So it's the idea of always being present. Appreciate that. Yeah, I think that's a nice way to put it. A nice way to put it. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, uh, joining me today to talk both about um, uh, a blob, <laughs> your books, and for talking about The Little Prince. who gave me a chance to reread it. I hadn't had a chance to re- uh, read it in quite a while. Thank you, Jody. Thanks for having me. You can find L.A. Kafalos's website at thisisablob.com and additional information about her books at www.laughingleopardpress.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva 
which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. <laughs>